this is Angela Pennyfeather, and you are now listening to The Raw Collection. It's Women's History Month, and we are celebrating women in retail and fashion. Today's guest is giving the epitome of Black girl magic. She's Stephanie Horton, Global Consumer Marketing Director for Commerce at Google. Hi, Stephanie, and welcome. Hi, Angela. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for joining. Now, Stephanie, you've been in this world of luxury fashion and marketing. Can I say for over 25 years? I don't want to like date anyone. No, I don't okay. I'm okay. But yes, you can definitely say that. <laughs> okay. So let's go back to Stephanie 25 years ago. Where were you in your career? Wow. So 25 years ago, I was pretty much starting out. I think I probably had my first job and then was in business school. And I think that was probably the turning point for me because when I started out, I was in finance. So I started out in a completely different field. And I think, you know, if I was to look back then, I would never think I would be doing what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. Uh, But business school is kind of what changed my mind about what I wanted to focus on. And did you feel like you had different goals then? I definitely did. I mean, I think I was on, you know, a probably really rigid and traditional finance track where you work at your job for two years, you go back to business school, you come back into some banking or finance job, and you basically, you know, continue on that track for the rest of your career. But in business school, I changed from finance to marketing, and that kind of changed everything. You know, so when I came out of business school, I did not go to a traditional banking job or accounting job. I ended up working at an advertising agency, and Mm -hmm. I think that forever just changed my career trajectory and obviously what what I do. (laughs) Did you feel like you had any pressure making that change from business school to marketing? No, I mean, I, you know, for me, I've always been, you know, a person who follows my gut. Mm -hmm. And I think after you know, going to college, having internships in finance, you know, I worked in the accounting department at Motorola, I worked at Northern Trust Bank, you know, I did, you know, kind of very traditional jobs, I think I, I didn't really enjoy them, you know, I could do them for sure, but it wasn't, I had no passion for it, and I didn't really enjoy it. So I think, you know, in the middle of business school, I was like, why not do something that I want to do. And I had an entrepreneurship class and our professor, he was actually a banker. He was from Piper Jaffray, but he had gone on to start and exit a few businesses and just listening to his story and kind of the creative approaches that he had applied to, you know, understanding like what business to buy, what it took to start it, how to grow it, you know, all the marketing concerns. I was like, you know, I want to be doing something more like this. You know, I want to be doing something more creative. And I literally switched in the middle <laughs> to, to marketing. <laughs> do you feel like, like looking back then to now, do you feel like you've accomplished everything on your list or is there still something more that Stephanie's hoping or willing to achieve? <laughs> it's funny. Like I don't have a list. Uh, and, and I never have, you know, I've kind of been more the person who, I don't want to say fly by the seat of my pants, but, you know, every job that I've had, I've actually been 
recommend it for it. I, you know, that's something we can come on to later. I think a, a strong network is really important to success and, you know, maybe achieving goals, but, you know, new opportunities have just been put in front of me and it's either been good or bad. And if it was good, I went for it. And if it wasn't quite for me, I went the other way. So I think, you know, I probably have an idea of some things that are interesting, but I don't know that I have like, you know, next, I'm definitely going to do this, you know, <laughs> I have some things that are interesting, you know, there's always chatter and, and people bringing things to you. So, so let's see. I mean, for now I'm very happy, but let's see. So it sounds like there are like some really core values. Like, you know, for one, I feel like you not having a list is like something that keeps you interesting and going. And like you said, being able to choose what's right and what's not for you. Are there core values that you've kept throughout your career? I think, you know, one thing is really being true to myself. I mean, it's harder in the beginning of your career because obviously you just want to do a good job and get ahead. Mm -hmm. Uh, So things like you know, you don't really consider things like culture. I mean, maybe people do now because I think it's more in the DNA of what people look at to take a job. But back when I started working, you know, when you started out, it was just about how do I get ahead um, and how do I get promoted? You know, less about, oh, this culture kind of isn't the best or, you know, is this company, you know, core to my values? So I think for me, it was mostly about being true to myself and and making sure that I was really enjoying in some part what I was doing. If, if ever something was like, this really isn't working for me, then I left. You know, since then, I think, you know, as things have progressed and I think we've all become more, you know, nascent and like just very, very cognitive of like, you know, company culture and things that we want and, you know, making sure we get what we want and work-life balance, you know, more things have become important to me, like, you know, making sure that, the company does at least meet some of the values that I, you know, I inherently own and, you know, really making sure that I have time for myself. I think that's something at least early in my career and even maybe mid that I I didn't really focus on that now is something that's very important to me. I feel like now since the pandemic, a lot of people are focusing on that, like me first too, as well. That wasn't the thing before. This is something that I've been seeing a lot of conversations going around the table, especially when it comes to Black women and maybe even younger Black women. How do you bring a seat to the table or let's say the meeting room? I think, you know, you have to use your voice. You know, a lot of the time, People give you opportunities, but it's what you do with that opportunity that I think gives you that seat at the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then once you have the seat at the table, you have to make sure you use it. You know, you can't just sit there. Yeah. Uh, so I think your voice really embodies what your seat at the table is going to do for you and others. And I really believe if you have a seat at the table, you definitely have to use it for others. It can't, it can't just be for you. So I think advocating for things that are important to you, but also will affect change is really important. It was, it's funny, like I was at this Diane von Furstenberg thing on Friday for, for Women's History Month. And she asked like, what, what does in charge mean to you? And I think in charge really means being able to affect change. So yeah. if you have a seat and you do nothing. I think that's, it, it's just a waste. I mean, I I love what you said. I feel like I want to write that down because I feel like that's so powerful where, you know, especially as Black women, when we see others that look like us, or even as women in general, when we see other women there, we feel excited. We feel a little ignited that, you know, there will be change. 
And I think sometimes when change doesn't happen, it is a disappointment. And I think it ties into that whole culture and dynamics that could shift. Like, is this culture right for me? Because I think when we see women, we want to, we want to be cheered on. We want to cheer them on too as well. So I yeah, think- no, absolutely. And I think sometimes as Black women, we have a hard time cheering each other on. I think, you know, one thing that's important is realizing that there's room for everyone. Yeah. You know, everyone carves their own path. And so, you know, you want to be that cheerleader and you want to open doors and make space. You know, people definitely did that for me. And, you know, you just want to, you want to keep that door open. Absolutely. Now there's this whole thing called the imposter syndrome. Have you heard of it? <laughs> yeah, I heard of it. I probably have a controversial <laughs> take on it. Look, you know, that whole thing, I, you know, I don't really buy into it. I get it. You know, I think though, to be unsure is okay. And, you know, I feel like the word imposter is a bit nefarious. So for someone to, you know, put this label on people, you know, I'm not so sure, but I feel like the, it, it becomes because of like, you know, systemic issues within an organization. Like if people make you feel like you're not doing your best or you don't have the ability for something, of course, you're going to feel like, you know, unsure. Right. Uh, but, you know, I think that we all feel unsure every day when we do. We're not always confident in the decisions we make. And I don't think that makes us an imposter. I think it just makes us unsure. Mm-hmm. So I think the, the the way to fix it is more making sure that organizations have the proper training and conduct of peers and, you know, others to make sure they're not demeaning women or demeaning people of color or making them feel like, you know, they're not as good as, or they're there for some other reason than the fact that they have the aptitude to do so. Because no one goes into something feeling unsure. It's usually some environmental reason that makes you do that. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm not so sure I I buy into it. I don't, you know, I have to say, yes, I've been unsure, but I've never felt like an imposter. Got it. (laughs) So let's Let's make the, let's change shifts for a bit and let's talk about your transition from luxury to tech. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, for some that's kind of like, wait, what? But for you, yeah. you make it look like it's, it can be done. Yeah. I mean, you know, I kind of come from the place that if you want something, anything can be done, but you have to do it within the parameters of your skill set, right? So I don't think I would have ever taken a job in tech that, you know, had to do with a subject matter that I I know nothing about, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because I think there's a huge learning curve on the the product side, right? You have to learn how things work. Um, You know, you have to learn about you know, the, the technology behind it and how that powers each of, you know, each of the products that you're working on. So I think for me, because I had strong functional knowledge in retail, you know, in marketplaces, in e-commerce, you know, that translates to a lot of different things at Google, right? So I felt like I could offer immediate, uh, you know, I can make immediate impact in some way while I'm learning the rest. I think if I had to learn everything from scratch, it probably would have been, this job probably would have been less interesting to me. But I think it was the right position at the right time where I felt like I had the aptitude to offer 
impact in, in how things are being built and, you know, what was, you know, value propositions and what was coming to market. Got it. Any advice to those that are nervous to make that switch, especially when they're jumping into another industry? Yeah, I mean, I think in general, if you're jumping into another industry, you should have, you know, you should go eyes wide open and and know exactly what is expected of you and, and what's expected of the role and really take, you know, an audit of like, you know, okay, what, what do I know here? What do I need to learn? And hopefully what you know a little bit outweighs what you need to learn because, you know, I think, you know, to be successful, you want to be able to come in and assess and give recommendations and make impact, right? If you know nothing, you're not going to be able to do that. So I think, you know, kind of doing your own internal audit of the position of like, you know, what is good about this? What can I do? What do I know versus what do I need to learn is really important. And I think it kind of goes back to what you said earlier about really having a voice. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and you have to speak up and and be honest. Like, you know, I think, you know, I was really honest and, you know, even when you take a re- like a CEO position, like, you know, you're, I'm the kind of person who I need a strong CFO. Yes, I know finance, but it is definitely not, you know, my one, number one forte. So I think, you know, when you look at any position, you have to understand your blind spots and make sure that in some way they're going to be covered so that you can be successful. Right. Now let's talk about how the, the tech industry, for me, I always look at it as this place where you have to be 10 years ahead. And maybe that's a misconception, I'm not sure. But what tools or resources do you use to stay on top of all the trends? Well, I mean, I think, you know, we, are, you know, in marketing, we stayed in, on top of trends more from a marketplace point of view. So, you know, understanding where things are going and taking our cues from, you know, our, our tech and product teams who obviously are on top of the other. So, you know, I think, I think in tech, you know, you're only as good as your, your engineers and product people. And obviously Google, we have some of the best. So I think we're able to look, look ahead and, and work ahead and see, you know, what's happening. But I think you also have to be measured in how you roll things out. And I think that that's another thing that, you know, Google's really good at is just, you know, assessing what to do when. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's just, you know, having having the knowledge from both sides, like having the technical input, but also having the marketplace and trend input. Got it. Since the pandemic, we've been noticing, and I've been guilty of this too, of just shopping online. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to use that word force in quotation marks because obviously we couldn't go to stores during that time. So everything we wanted, it was online. Do yeah. you think that has changed the shopping behavior now? I mean, I think it changed expectations, right? And I think people now want to be able to really shop online with confidence. Yeah. So I think they want to know that they're getting the best price, that they're seeing all the options they can, just as if they went to the store, and that they're equipped with all the right product knowledge. So I think people now expect that anything that you can get in the store, you can get online too. I think people are definitely going back to stores and we're seeing that, but sometimes it's just to do research or try on and then you want to go home and buy it. So it's not going to be okay if what you just saw 
isn't in the online offering or you can't find all the product information you need. So I think, you know, people want to see a lot more in their online experience than, than before. And I think technology is really playing a big part in this, right? Like AR is really helping because it gives people the ability to try things on like AR beauty that, you know, we have on Google. You can see, you know, the lipstick or the foundation on your face. You know, I think almost a lot, a lot of people have where you can see the piece of furniture in your home. So I think the technology that we're developing and able to, in order to help people do this even more seamlessly is really important. That's actually a really smart word of saying expectations, because I didn't really think of it like that, especially for myself, where I am now comparing as opposed to shopping on luxury, just because, you know, I feel like it. It's like, no, I really want to spend more time into this, into this, taking my time with this. So I actually like how you worded that. That makes a lot of sense. Do you think that AR, because obviously I think we're seeing that a lot more now, Mm -hmm. do you think that it's going to, excuse me, replace brick and mortar? No, you know, I, I, I had a, when I, when I was at Farfetch, the founder of Farfetch used to always say fashion is not downloadable. I think that people will always want to touch and feel, see, be inspired by a store. But I think, as I just said, I think they expect that they can then go home and, you know, redo the experience online if they want to. So I think that there's always going to be a store experience. Now, what that is, I think will definitely evolve over time. And it has evolved over time as we, as we've seen, but I think it will always be that. I don't think, I don't think we're ever be like, you know, just online only. Right. Yeah. I I still love walking into stores too, as well. How can minority owned businesses gain knowledge or insight on digital commerce? I think, you know, depends on the platform. I think, you know, for us at Google, you know, we have on the merchant side tools that allow people to identify themselves as black owned or or Latinx owned to, you know, be discovered easily. On our side, we also have a partnership with the 15% pledge where Google gives free access to digital tools and chainings and for black business owners wanting to grow and scale their business. So, you know, depending on kind of where you are in your knowledge base, we have three different sets of trainings to help you be more discoverable online and learn how to use a lot of the analytics that are available to them. And we've also partnered with the pledge to create black owned businesses for every category from fashion to beauty, wellness, and art to make it easier for people find and shop the businesses. So, you know, there's lots of things we're doing here to help, you know, underrepresented businesses become more discoverable and then understand really how to use all the tools available to them. That's awesome. And how can, just to reiterate, how can our listeners find out more about that 15% pledge? Yeah, if you go onto their website, there's actually a Google, you know, there's a place that, that explains our partnership and all that we offer. And if you join the pledge, you're actually, if you go into their database, then you're actually el- eligible for all of these trainings. Okay, cool. So there you have it. There are some resources. Is there ever such a thing as an authentic retail experience online? Or is it something that you think Google is looking to create or has already created? I think, you know, we're all probably in the process of creating that. I think consumers want to spend money on brands that align with their values, right? I think seeing that more and more since the pandemic and, you know, 
George Floyd and people wanting to shop black owned, et cetera. So we've, you know, allowed retailers, as I said before, to self-identify as black owned, Latinx owned, veteran owned, and women owned so that people can more easily find these businesses online. And you can also shop on Google nearby. So you can see, you know, if you want to, you know, you, you use a small business instead of going to Target, you know, I mean, that, you know, they might have the same product. So I think, you know, we're consistently trying to improve and evolve our experience. But I think we are, you know, we are doing those things, I think, which is a great start. Uh, but yeah, I think it, it, it's hard to pinpoint it exactly, right? Because everyone has a different definition of what authenticity means to them. So I think for us, it's just to offer as many ways to shop as possible. A lot of the tools and filters on Shop with Google actually help you do this. Awesome. And if you can say, is there anything new and exciting that you're looking forward to unveiling with Google Shopping? We do have some exciting things, but unfortunately I cannot pre-announce them. Yeah, but but we do. I mean, I would definitely look forward to midsummer into fall, okay. and you know, I think definitely in in the you know in the AR space and others, we'll definitely be looking at adding some attributes there. Okay, well, we will stay tuned for that. Now we're going to move on to something a bit lighter. It's our speed round where I ask our guests 10 questions. They have the choice to plead the fifth once. These are questions that our guests do not see beforehand. It's very fun. It doesn't put you on the spot, but it's just to get to know you a little bit personally. So are you ready, Stephanie? No pressure. I think I'm ready. (laughs) Okay, here we go. Gmail or Outlook? Gmail. New York City or London to live? Oh, wow. I've lived in both. I guess I'll have to go with New York, although I really do love London. I feel like they have like those similarities where it's very hard to pick. Yeah. I mean, London's very different as far as like, you know, it's still European lifestyle. So, you know, your weekends are completely free. It's easy to jet off to Europe. But, you know, there's just something about New York City that you just don't get anywhere. So I guess I'll have to go with New York. Okay. Yeah. Favorite black owned designer. Ooh, that's a, that's a tough one. <laughs> I guess I'll have to say just cause I own so much of it and was an early supporter, I guess maybe Christopher John Rogers, but I mean, there's so many good ones right now. There um, are so many good ones, but he has been like so dynamic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess. That's a yeah. Good one. What is your most luxurious item? And luxurious doesn't have to be in terms of price. It could be something meaningful to you. Wow. Okay. That's a really good question. You know what? I'm going to say something a little corny. I, so me and my dad, when I was growing up, our thing was to listen to records. Mm-hmm. And a couple of years ago, someone gave me a really cool vintage record player. So I would say that just because it, it just reminds me of growing up. I love it. That's very sweet. What is your favorite quote to live? I think like, you know, when I worked at Vogue, Anna used to say this all the time, and I think it's just a good barometer of getting things done. But, you know, is it hard or is it impossible? Because if it's just hard, we can get it done. Right. I love that. Let's go to Vogue then, since she used to work at Vogue. Are you a fan of Devil Wears Prada? You know, I mean, like, you know, obviously, yeah, it was it was definitely an entertaining movie. Nothing to vogue with that, but do you have a favorite moment from that movie? 
favorite moment? Let's see. Gosh, there were so many moments in that movie. I think, you know, I, I you know, that that movie it, it, it's it's a good and bad movie, right? Because it kind of like you know, she she starts conforming to everything around her mm-hmm. uh, and like, you know, becomes this person that maybe she really isn't. So I think probably my favorite part is when she kind of is like, you know, in Paris and is like, I don't want to be this person. Mm-hmm. And she has the strength and courage to walk away because yep. most, most of us don't. Yep, for sure. What is your favorite New York City restaurant that you love to be a part of because it has the best scene? Oh, wow. The best scene. Oh, well, okay. My all-time favorite, just because I just love the whole experience, is the Polo Lounge. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just, you know, I, there's so many, there's so many I could say that have, like, that might be a little more sceny, but that place, it always has, like, an interesting crowd. Mm-hmm. Food's really consistent. They have the best wine list. Yeah. And Polo I don't know about you, but it also feels real New York. It does, you know, it's very authentic to New York. It's yeah. not, you know, something, you know, it's not European. It's not, you know, exactly. LA to come to New York. It's just very quintessentially New York. What's your favorite way to spend your day off? And I'm not talking weekends. Let's say you took off on a Tuesday. Oh, I would oh, definitely Tuesday. go somewhere. <laughs> I, uh, I'm definitely a, let's try something new and go somewhere. Yeah. So I think, you know, even if it was like, I'm going to go try a new spa in Connecticut. I would, I would leave. I would go somewhere else. Okay. And your favorite pair of shoes that you currently own? Wow. I'm going to say, so I always like a little bit of height, but you know, I'm into comfort lately. So I have these really um, nice platform kind of tie up loafers from Prada that I really like right now. Cause they give me height, but they also give you a little fashion. I don't know about you, but I feel like Prada has definitely changed their shoe appeal to me. Like I have been loving Prada these last maybe year and a half. Like every season of shoe they've had, I'm like, yes, I want it. Love it. No, for sure. Like they, yeah, you know, it's always cyclical. Like, you know, I like a brand and then all of a sudden it's like, "Eh." but for the past two, three seasons, I agree with you. They've done really well. Yep. All right. Now this is our last question. It might be a toughie. Are you ready? I'm ready in-store or online shopping oh it's not hard for me online shopping i i'm an online shopper like i like i like going in stores but you know online every day (laughs) okay well thank you stephanie for doing that she did not play the fifth one so you are a rock star we do have a question from instagram which is how can black women be seen wow how can black women be seen that has so many different context. I mean, I think, I think you have to show up as yourself, right? I, I, you know, I think for sure, bringing your most authentic self to the table and to the workplace is really important. And, you know, really putting forth who you are and what you can offer. Because when you show up that way, Mm -hmm. people notice you, people Mm -hmm. notice you for your accomplishments. They notice you for what you contribute and they know you for being an authentic person. So I would definitely say, you know, if you're in a situation where you can't be yourself, 
you know, I don't want to encourage people to leave their jobs, but leave because you're you're not, it's going to get you nowhere because you're going to always be second guessing and pretending instead of bringing your full self to the table and being able to really push forward. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, putting yourself in a position where you feel really comfortable being yourself and that you can do the things that you do well, I think is the most important way to, to show. Awesome. And I think, like you said, too, is also your gut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Like, yes. 100%. Always trust your gut. Like if it's not feeling right, it probably isn't. Yep. Stephanie, thank you so much. I feel like you are such a great leader as far as what you're doing in your career, how you've inspired, how you made the changes. But, you know, I also see how you give back, you know, you give back to your voice, whether it's in meetings like your podcast or conversations to really inspire this next generation to lead from within or, you know, trust themselves in their instincts. So thank you so much. I'm inspired by your work and your passion. And thank you all so much for listening. And in honor of today's guest, what Stephanie said, is it hard or is it impossible? Take that with you. Until next time. Bye.